podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. reading is from Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 11. I read this passage and I thought, boy, if I was chair of the finance committee, I would love this passage. It has to do with fundraising. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aminian was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruits of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate 
with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Each year, Epworth has uh, a harvest of gifts auction. Uh, that's a, it's an opportunity, it's coming up, and it's an opportunity in which we share our talents and our treasures and host events uh, among us to raise funds and fun for the congregation. And last year, in the Harvest of Gifts, our family offered uh, to host an Italian dinner party for six people. So last week, we finally gathered... <laughs> the highest bidders uh, over at the parsonage for a wonderful feast of food and fellowship. And after, after dinner over dessert, our conversation turned toward the price of housing in Berkeley and the Bay Area in general. And as we talked, my wife Elizabeth shared with everyone a, a picture she has on her phone of a house that looked like it was about to fall down um, it, it had rotted sides, and it had boarded up windows. It had no steps up to the front door, and it was selling for a million dollars. I think most of us are well aware of this reality, but it comes up regularly in conversation because the numbers and the situation are mind-blowing. A million dollars for a house that is literally uninhabitable? How did we get here, many of us ask. But the corollary question for many of us is also, how do we stay here? And it can come with a side of fear when we think about the fact that this is home with familiar surroundings and attachments and life-giving relationships. The juxtaposition of this value and the vulnerability of our home can keep us up at night. In our scripture today from Deuteronomy, the Israelites are camped on the east side of Jordan in the plains of Moab, directly across from Jericho. They're right at the edge of the promised land. They've been in the desert for 40 years and they're about to enter this land that has been in their minds, that has been promised to their ancestors and to them since the time of Abraham and Sarah. This is the land that they've sacrificed for, the land that they've been longing for. They've lived the vulnerability of having no set home as they crossed uh, across this barren desert, and the Sinai Peninsula, and up towards the place where they are now. And now the location and the consequent stability that may have occupied a part of their thoughts every day is in sight. And the scripture does something interesting here. Instead of focusing on the celebration of having arrived or congratulating the Israelites on their perseverance, towards this goal. It focuses instead on two other things. First, the emphasis, as you heard Frank read, is on God's saving action throughout history. And second, it introduces the practice of giving the first fruits 
of the harvest to God? Why the first fruits? Why, why doesn't the prescription just talk about making any kind of offering to God? Why is it important that what is given to God is the first of the harvest? Well, the answer is in the oath that is to be said when the first fruit is put into the basket and given to the priest, which you heard Frank read. It is, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give to us. My father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, our toil, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. God brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Even though they were about to come into the promised land, the primary identity of the Israelites has always been that of wanderers. And yet now, a people who has been homeless are about to have a home. One would think that they would be on the threshold of moving out of vulnerability, but in fact, what this piece of scripture is communicating is that this is, in fact, one of the most vulnerable of times for this people. You see, in the wilderness, they were forced to rely on God, who had demonstrated presence and faithfulness in a number of ways. Once this people moves out of that mode, would they forget? Would they begin to think that they didn't need God? And so as they entered this promised land flowing with milk and honey, they need some practice that will help them continue to order their lives in such a way that they rely on and look to God only for their security. Think about the practice of this first fruit offering. In an agrarian culture like the ancient Near East was, income and resources primarily are procured only once a year when the harvest is sold. And if the first of that harvest is given to God, this is the best of the harvest. Harvesting takes several days, and so after the, the, the fruit of the first days was given to God, harvesting continued. And when the first fruit is offered, there was no guarantee that something wouldn't happen to the rest of the harvest, that it wouldn't be ruined by rain or some other weather event or pestilence or some other calamity. Giving the first fruit was a practice that actually made them quite vulnerable. It was a practice that said, come what may, our trust is in the Lord. Come what may, God has delivered us and will deliver us again. Come what may, I will praise the Lord. 
In the vulnerable times we live in, this is a very hard practice to imagine. Not just to give a portion of what we have to God, but to do so without knowing if anything else is coming. In our modern minds, we may think, well, isn't that what they traveled all that way for, so that they could land in a secure place and not have to feel the vulnerability they felt in the desert? But no, actually, it wasn't. They traveled all that way to remember that they were free people, not slaves. To remember that they were God's beloveds and that they were in primary covenant with the God of Abraham and Sarah, who was also their God. And as free people, they were also free to put their trust in God. They traveled all that way to become a new free people, a people of the promised land who were in possession not only of the primary covenant from Abraham, but also of a new covenant of the law given to Moses at Sinai and shared with them as new free people who had a choice. The covenant with Abraham was one of unconditionality, a promise from God to Abraham and Sarah and all of their descendants. But the covenant of the law was one of mutuality. It required and requires response. It's important to remember that the children who had left Egypt are now adults and that the laws given to them at Mount Sinai had been agreed to uh, by their parents and their grandparents. And now, as they are about to enter this new land that they expect to be their home, there is this reiteration of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It's, a, it's derived from a Greek word meaning a copy or a repetition or sometimes translated as a second law. And these adults now need to affirm who they are and what they believe and who they will follow. Ultimately, they are asked to affirm where they will put their trust. Will they put it in themselves or will they put it in God? Now, I don't mean in any way to suggest that the housing insecurity that is experienced today is in any way a preferable state. In fact, today, we as a community have the resources to end housing insecurity in this country, and that is part of the response that we are asked for in the law and in responding to the covenant of the law. It was always the goal of the Israelites to move through the desert and not to stay there. And they were only there in the first place because they were free, fleeing oppression. The phrase in our scripture today, when you have come into the land, is not a statement about geography. It is a promise and an affirmation of salvation and relationship and response. God not only provides, God and the community we find in God are life itself. No matter what we are doing, no matter where we are, this is what we are asked to keep in front of us and to respond to. God not only provides, God and the community we find in God are life itself. And if we live and breathe that truth, that we have nothing apart from God, 
then the offering of the first fruits is a logical expression of that. When I was a child, I remember my grandparents talking about tithing. It's not like they talked about this all the time, but their unequivocal, unequivocal commitment to giving the first 10% of every paycheck to the church impressed me and has stayed with me. They were persons of modest means. My grandfather worked for a construction company. My grandmother was a Christian education director and then she stopped working to raise a family and then she uh, returned to work as a church secretary later in life. They lived in a small and tidy three-bedroom home in Oklahoma City. Their giving of their first fruit was just one dimension of the way that God was at the center of their lives. It was one example of their deep commitment to the church. Today we're beginning a series of looking at our own deep commitments to God and to the church. Please take a look at the quote that you have on the front of your bulletin from Sister Helen Prejean. And yes, actually, your, your church staff has been working all week and planning <laughs> for this service. It says, I watch what I do to see what I really believe. Sister Helen Prejean is, of course, the nun who is best known for her accompaniment and pastoral care of persons condemned to death and living in prison on death row, and for her accompaniment and pastoral care for the victims and survivors of their crimes. Her deep commitment is clear. She has given not just the first fruits of her livelihood, but all of her life to the work of compassion and justice. And so in the next month, we'll be engaging in our own process that invites us to watch what we do, to see what we believe. We'll be in prayer asking God to empower us in making new and deep commitments. The offering of the first fruit is just part of that invitation. But really, this is an opportunity to look deeply at our lives and see if what we value and where we are most grateful is met with where we put our time, our talents, and our treasure where we put these things first. We are blessed with a community of faith here at Epworth that we have known to be life-giving, a fact which is reaffirmed over and over again. In the next month, let us sink into that peace, that grounding, that home, and respond with our deep commitments. Amen. Amen.